Hey everyone, and welcome to the Old Fashioned Breakdown Podcast. My name is Fola Olakumbi, and Helen's gone home. Um, <clears throat> we just finished doing the podcast, and um, as ever, just as we'd finished, uh, something popped into my mind, and I was like, oh, there's something I forgot to say. And uh, Helen rolled her eyes and was um, <laughs> basically just said, I'm going home, I'm tired, so you're on your own. So here I am, <laughs> on my own. Um it's actually really good because it gives me a chance to say to anyone who is listening, whether you're old or new, whether this is like the first podcast you've ever of ours that you've ever listened to, or you've listened to like lots of our other ones, um, or little bits of lots of other ones. Um, I just want to say thanks for listening. Um, started off as a bit of a of an experiment, really, um, just to see if I could hold a conversation for more than five minutes without getting bored and uh yeah it seems to have worked out um well for me anyway i don't know how how interesting anyone else is finding it um is it because i I think this this when we started this podcast it wasn't really gonna be what it is it was supposed to be a bit similar to what's already out there where you know people talk about you know normal things and uh, i didn't realize we'd go as deep as we do uh, I don't know how that's going down with anyone. I don't know if people think we're just a bit pretentious or not, but as far as I'm concerned, I really enjoy doing it. So, um, you know, this is the show now, I guess. Um, yeah, so I, like I said, I just wanted to say, if you have got anything from the show or if you've sort of learned anything, that's really, really cool because I've learned so much. And yeah, thanks for listening. Um, I just wanted to say that... Um, we're gonna we're gonna take a bit of a break from the show though having said all that um, we're gonna take a bit of a break for the next couple of weeks um, just to kind of recharge our batteries and sort of get back to normal life and stuff um, but we will be coming back with season two and hopefully finding lots of other uh, concepts and things that we don't know anything about so um, yeah really really looking forward to it and um, yeah just kind of you know, um, why don't you just like add us on Twitter or send us an email or whatever? Um, it'd be really, really good to hear from you. Uh, and yeah, it, it would be really good to hear from you. So the email address is in the bio, and Helen's gonna read it out in a bit. So, uh, yeah, get in touch, say something, say hi, or something. Um, anyway, I'm gonna leave it there. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, man. It's, re- it's really, really, it's really been fantastic for me i really enjoyed it uh i guess q david cabanara hey everyone and welcome to the old-fashioned breakdown podcast a rewatch podcast for the marvelous tv show mad men my name is Ola Olakumbi. And my name is Helen Varley. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, comment and subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, because why wouldn't you, you can do so on Twitter, which is at breakdown underscore old, or email us on oldfashioned.breakdown at gmail.com. This week, we'll be recapping the last, well, we're recapping the entire season of the first season of Mad Men. Uh... (laughs) I mean, you say that, 
but I feel like I can only remember like very small amounts. I have the memory of a goldfish, so. Don't worry about it. I've watched every single one and read lots and lots of research and listened to multiple podcasts for the both of us. Yay! <laughs> you know, so so here's the thing, right? Fola Fola takes this very seriously, <laughs> whereas I, I do take it seriously, but I I'm less I'm less obsessive, I suppose. Well, you know, the only reason I got um, uh, the opportunity to do all that is because this last week has been so long. It's felt like weeks. It's felt like a month. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> since lockdown, I just I can't believe it's that it's like the end of August. Like what? Twenty twenty. Fuck you. That's all I have to say. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so we're going to go through each episode. So we're going to go, well, we're not going to go through each episode. We're going to kind of give a, I think the way I've been looking at the show um, is, you know, these are basically turned into lectures on um, psycho psychoanalysis. Yay! And, um, and uh, I've been looking at the show and I've been trying to sort of figure out how it works. And... I've been looking at how all the things that we've been talking about up until now kind of coalesce into like one big sort of storytelling arc. Mm. And I've kind of, I don't know, figured, I think I've figured something out. I don't know if it's what they attended. <gasps> oh, okay. Well, should we run through the episodes first? Okay. What do you mean? Just like... Let's run through them and then you can tell us your amazing findings. <laughs> all right. Okay. 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 So the first, like, so, okay. The first episode... I'll take this one. Uh, smoke gets in your eyes. Um, so that okay. So the the way I want to do this, I'm not gonna. So we're not gonna we're not gonna specifically go for each one independently because I think that take forever. <laughs> um, but what I do want to say is like you can almost like group up all these episodes into um, into like categories. So. I know this is kind of like a bit different to what we kind of, uh, <laughs> what we agreed. I just realized it wouldn't work the way we agreed it. Matt, and also, we, I don't remember agreeing to anything, but okay. <laughs> like, let's just, just go for it first. Let's and also, it. all the stuff I sent you kind of doesn't really, anyway, doesn't matter. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is basically, we've got like 13 episodes in this in this season, right? And the first, the first episode is the pilot episode. And it's kind of, like when we sort of went through it we kind of tried to find some unif unifying sort of theme to it and it's really difficult to do well i found it really difficult to do i mean apart from a vague sort of understanding of you know the the pleasure principle and all these kind of weird things that i won't bother going to now uh, it was really hard to nail something down like and it's kind of hard to nail down with all the episodes but this one specifically and the reason for that, I think, is because it's the pilot episode. And I don't think, I could be wrong here, but I don't think that um, Matthew Weiner knew exactly what direction he was going to, what exactly what he was going to do with this show. Because this show was written, the first episode was written before he went to work for The Sopranos. Right. I think he figured out how he was going to tell the story after he went to The Sopranos. So this pilot episode, I think, stands alone. Okay. And doesn't really get in. Like, it gives you a broad overview of what the show's about in terms of, you know, the trauma that everyone sort of suffered from the war and, like, how how that affected people's sort of um, understanding of reality and how the, the government tried to control people and all that kind of stuff through, you know, um, uh, consumerism and, um, and all that kind of stuff. 
but I don't think, I don't think it's got, I don't think it kind of is as a whole with the rest of the season. And I'll try to try to explain how as we go on. Right. Do you remember anything about the first episode that you was? Has it got the fly in it? It has got the fly in it. Right. So I remember the fly. Okay. Um, that doesn't really help. I remember (laughs) what were they? Oh, the cigarettes. They were they were trying to sell cigarettes. Yes, they were trying to sell cigarettes. Yes, and that does come up later on in the on the final episode. But we'll talk about that later. Um, But the thing about the fly, I think that's a good place to start. Actually, Um, having said that. Having earlier said that it doesn't really affect anything. I think that the fly, we talked about how it's kind of, he's kind of trapped, the fly's kind of trapped in this light and Mm -hmm. it's kind of trying to get out of the light and it's like, it should be happy or it should be, you know, happy where it is because it's in a well-lit place and it's kind of, and it should sort of, but it feels trapped within there. All right. And I think one thing that I'm going to say about Don, I don't think anyone's really said about him, which is kind of really weird. Is I think I'm gonna throw throw us all straight in there. I think Don is a feminine subject. What? <laughs> what do you mean? And like you could tell, like the, the, you might not agree with me, and this might not make any sense. But um, so there's this thing that Lacan. So this whole season, everything about the season, one thing it's taught me is like Lacan. I can, didn't know anything about Lacan when we started doing this. And it's like, Lacan is like this really sort of, um, also, almost known as the godfather of modern psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. right? And he did like a lecture a year for like the entirety of the 60s, like and part of the, part of the 50s and part of the 70s as well. But every single year for the 60s, he did like, a, he did like an entire like huge lecture on like how the consciousness works. And I think underneath all of this, all of the show, like the 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 basic sort of like core um, subtext of everything, you know, because like you can watch these shows and there's so many things that jump out at you. Mm. I think the very sort of like core of the show is this like this whole Lacanian thing, and like a lot of people miss it because it's like really buried there, but it's actually there. Um, and so one of the things he talks about, one of the things Lacan talks about, is this idea of masculine and um, feminine subjects right and the reason I say Don is a feminine subject is because Mad Men is a feminist show right right it's a very feminist show uh, and uh, one of the things about it is feminism but I think it's like a main sort of component if you look at like you know the rise of Peggy and other characters I know I know you haven't seen the whole thing but like certain things happen to those characters where it's like wow lots of changes happen to them yeah i mean at this point i wouldn't say i'd call it a feminist show okay okay that's interesting that's interesting um that's really cool that's cool that you that you wouldn't call it a feminist show at this point i mean i don't know again that might change yeah yeah, yeah. but all the all the female characters sorry we'll come back to don being a female whatever you said what is it he's a female subject we'll come back to don being a female subject but the women in the show yeah are very suppressed and and none of them seem i mean even peggy she sort of starts to get there towards the end but none of the characters seem particularly bothered about sort of stepping out from their roles interesting in the sense that you know with with peggy's kind of the exception but 
maybe there is a longing, but they're not they're not being true to that. And right. I think that's 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 the difference between a feminist and not a feminist. Is it sort of like a feminist to me is is someone who who sort of does as they as they a woman who does as she pleases yeah, yeah, yeah. regardless of what men think that she should do or okay. like society thinks she should do interesting um and i feel like none of them really do that i mean with peggy yes because i think denying the child like but she still feels the need for a to have the attention of men to be happy. she's still caged in she's still she yeah. still accepts the job of the typist she still sort of puts up with some of the bullshit from but the men would, but wouldn't you say that's okay two things wouldn't you say that's um because of the era that in which they live Ab- no absolutely but that's why but that's why to me it doesn't feel like a feminist show because they're they're still stuck in those constricted roles yeah. but you can see you can see the the desire for them to step out of them but you know, none of them are coming in wearing suits. None right, of them are doing okay. any of those things. Okay. Or, what? Go on. No, no, I'm just saying. That's, that's just, just like grinning at me from across the room, <laughs> like he's gonna unlock and drop some like I'm F- not. I'm, on I'm me genuinely. I'm just. I'm just fascinated at what you're saying because it's really, really cool. Um, yeah, uh, you're right. All that, all of that stuff is true, and um, I think, I think the point is what I'm saying is the thing of the thing I said about Don being a female subject is that don is if you think about the way don sort of looks towards say roger and roger's this kind of very very sort of talkative very puts his he really doesn't care what people think about him he really doesn't he he's not sort of constrained by this the the way people think about him i feel like don is like i feel like don is really kind of trying to be roger but if you look at the difference between the two of them, it's like Roger, he'll talk, he does his own thing. He, and like everything Don does is kind of mimicking what Roger does. He's almost like wants to be like Roger. I mean, I think there's so many layers to Mr. Draper that I think it's really hard because I can kind of see what you're getting at in yeah. the sense that he he has also found himself trapped within a role of sorts and has a sort of an indecisive sort of way of deciding what to do with yeah. his life kind yeah. of thing. And, and you see it in the episode later on where he goes off with um, Midge or he tries to convince Midge to come to Paris with him and run off and, and start again. Mm-hmm. But he's still, and I guess he still needs the woman the yeah, same way yeah. a woman is supposed to need a man. Yeah. Um, I suppose he, you know, he doesn't, again, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be the, divorced dad of two he'd yep. rather just run away and start again and yep. and hide from all that yep yep but we'll get to all that yeah yeah so okay so like i said i'm going to do this in a weird way where i'm going to try and group these up um in terms of theme so like the way this season works and why i find it so fascinating is like the next three episodes so let's say the first episode smoke is in your eyes stands on its own it's just kind of like this thing that kind of sets out the table sort of thing. So the thing about Ladies Room, Marriage of Figaro, and New Amsterdam, what's really fascinating about all those episodes is Ladies Room, if you remember we, us talking about it, we talked about how um, all the characters, well, all the female characters, main, actually, no, and the male characters, they talk a lot about um, accessories and, like, makeup and deodorant and covering things up. 
and I was kind of like um, connecting that to like the ego and covering up the ego and sort mm. of protecting the ego. So that's Ladies Room. Then we've got Marriage of Figaro. And Marriage of Figaro was really about, what I said it was about was um, the mind and body duality. So it's this idea that, you know, you've got your mind, but that's kind of hidden by your body. And there's loads of other things in there where, you know, you talked about how um, uh, Rachel was trying to get Don to wear those um, cufflinks, those night cufflinks, mm. almost like as like a, a, a protection sort of thing. And um, there's other things as well where, you know, the, you've got the kit, you've got all the adults seem to be sort of like hiding there. There's kind of like sort of nod to like inner children and stuff. And then there's the present as well, where the present's kind of like this, this cover of um, like, it's got the Christmas cover on it. Yeah, and yeah. You're like, that's awful. Um, and that's kind of, that's just that episode. And then you've also got New Amsterdam again, which is this other thing about how um, New York, used to be New Amsterdam and like really New York is covering New Amsterdam and I feel like those three episodes are all about um, how we cover our egos and how like just how the different ways how we cover our egos and if you go through each episode the first episode is really about specifically the ego the second ep- the second episode Marriage of Figaro is more about the, the body and the kind of like the person the covering up of the person and the third episode uh, New Amsterdam is about the covering up of an entire society of people. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I can see what you're saying. I'd probably say with those ones, because I mean, particularly, you know, <clears throat> I think you're right, spot on with sort of ladies' room about accessories, makeup. It's it's the mask, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, that's the mask. The Marriage of Figaro, from my recollection, <laughs> uh, which isn't that reliable, was more about relationships. Yeah, um, but and and how but how because I mean how you sort of form that you know that what's socially acceptable I mean that yeah. whole thing of you know it's relationships in terms of like which relationships matter totally no totally agree and that's that's what I'm saying so like wait, 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 I'm not done oh, okay. and <laughs> New Amsterdam and we touched on it but then it was sort of a bit of a crazy assumption for me that was the one that I thought was about religion, didn't I? Yeah, Didn't yeah, I make yeah. the point that but, that was about religion? So I think you could say they're all sort of societal things as well. But that's what I'm saying. So what I'm saying what I'm saying about Marriage of Figaro, and you said it's about relationships, and kind of, I agree with you. I'm saying like, I'm saying the first one is about the self, the person. Mm-hmm. Like, so ladies' room is about like a, a singular human being. I'm saying Marriage of Figaro is kind of it's kind of harder to describe but like it's about how people use other people to kind of protect themselves the communities or yeah, relationships well not, not necessarily communities yeah, more yeah. relationships more one-on-one yeah relationships yeah smaller or, relationships yeah intimate and relationships even the way like don gets kind of treated as like a almost like a thing do you know what i mean like when and it's like the two of those the, all those things where they kind of yeah don gets kind of what's it what's the word um objectified specifically in that episode um and the thing about new amsterdam and you were right you talked we talked about how that was like really nodded to sort of religion and i was talking about the ubermensch mm. and the thing about the ubermensch, oh yeah the ubermensch <laughs> who could about, forget <laughs> the thing about the ubermensch is the whole point of it is this idea of this one person rising above the crowd of people like a crowd of like people that are into religion so the whole the whole reason that whole thing came about is Nietzsche said that um, 
people who that Nietzsche said that God is dead and he was kind of like talking about the way that um, people uh, believe in God and believe people believe in religion they're kind of just following like sheep in a herd mm. and it's going to take someone of some I don't know superior intellect I don't know or not necessarily different intellect let's say who's going to sort of rise above the crowd and sort of like move society forward yeah and that's kind of so it is that the, the, that's I think that's the, the main reason why that was in there and all that stuff about God and all that that was all there to sort of nod towards that so that's the specific so as you see the three the first three episodes you've got the first one being about the self one person second one being about relationships let's say and the third one being about um, uh, crowds and sort of like a large crowd of people and <laughs> You're going to hate me for this. <laughs> and, and, um, that kind of reminds me of the real, the imaginary, and the symbolic. It's the triangle. <laughs> it's the, tri- the triangle's back. <laughs> um, because, and I don't know this for sure. I don't know how this fully works out. But basically, I think it works out as the real is the self. Is the, the real, essentially, is the subconscious. It's like, um, it's what's really happening in your mind right um the imaginary is basically what you see it's like um like to me it's the image of the person or or the people in front of you or whatever so and it's also how you know you sort of compare yourself to another person and you grow within that um and the symbolic is how you how you um, communicate that. So the symbolic is like language and mm. talking and just culture and just, you know, it's basically the crowd. It's like the big other sort of thing. Mm. So that's kind of how that kind of, I think that's how that, that, that plays out. So that's the first three, that's the first four episodes we talked about, right? So then we move on to 5G. Now 5G is a weird one because that's it's called 5g and it's the fifth episode and it all sort of ties up really well right Mm. and i said it was about life liberty and freedom which is essentially like political philosophy the weird thing about it is that episode was initially supposed to be the seventh episode um and i don't know why they changed it fully i can't fully work out why they changed it but if you put that episode in seventh place I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work out the way I want it to. But um, if you look at the next couple of episodes, so we've got 5G, which is political philosophy. Then you've got Babylon, which is, which I said was about um, ideologies. So that's another thing about like a, a big group of people, a big crowd of people. And then we've got Red in the Face. Now, Red in the Face is a really weird one because it... Um, I said it was about the mirror phase and Lacan and that's when I got really sort of freaked out because I didn't understand anything about Lacan. Mm. Even now I'm sort of like, still doesn't make sense to me. But, um, and a lot of that was repression, but like the whole Lacan thing in that, and the mirror phase is basically about the, uh, the relationship between people. So, you know, you're saying about relationships. So that's about the mirror phase. It's about how we sort of grow in relation to other people, right? And um, the weird thing about that, what I think that episode does, I think it, it, I think that episode sort of introduces the idea of two people sort of existing together. And I think that episode was initially 
supposed to come before um, 5G in Babylon. So it's almost kind of like saying, so you have two people, let's say in this, in this particular sense, it's Don and Roger, and they're sort of like coexisting, but you know, there's a lot of fighting and a lot of unrest in that. They kind of, they love each other. They, they go out on a date, then they sort of, then um, uh, Don makes Roger throw up and stuff. And there's sort of like this weird love-hate relationship going on. Yeah. Um, and I think that was kind of like, so Lacan says that the two, like the, the two mirror images, the two people can't really coexist together without a big other. And that big other is the symbolic, right? So what I think that was supposed to be doing is like setting that up as saying like, you see, these two people can't sort of, two human beings can't sort of just um, coexist together. There needs to be some other kind of influence to get them to kind of recognize each other in the same space. This is all sort of on a very subtextual. I know it's really... <laughs> I'm just nodding at Polar slowly as we talk. And it's really, really sort of um, all over the place. Do you remember anything about um, 5G that you want to... Uh, not 5G, sorry, red in the face. I mean, wanna... I think it's really interesting because I mean... <coughs> Excuse me. I think it's really interesting because ha- I have like a whole... Sort of probably quite basic compared to you. <laughs> I know. But like theory about, you know the whole the series as a whole and i think there are things that happen in individual episodes that I haven't quite put together but i mean in terms of this triangle so what what is it what are the three things so there's the real the imaginary and the symbolic so i mean you know i mean for me and again this is like basic bitch stuff but like <laughs> this whole series is just about advertising <laughs> <laughs> Right, bear with me. Right, it may not be Lacan, but like, think about it. Cause you've got like, I mean, the symbolic for me in a lot of this is money. It's like that's what people are chasing. That's what that's what drives them. That is what is, that is what brings Roger and and Don together. That is the thing, the glue that holds them together. Because yeah. Roger only keeps Don on because he makes him money. Don only works for Roger because he needs money. That's a very good point. Right? Yeah. So that's sort of what the glue is. Yeah. I think what's really interesting with with Red in the Face is it's almost like the beginning of Roger's decline. Yeah. Like, because he, after this point, he's like, he gets quite sick. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you almost see that that symbolic thing starts to... Sh- starts to shake a little bit and actually what is the most important thing is it this money that they've been chasing is it this power and money and yeah or is it something because you know there's this whole thing where he sort of goes on in the next episodes to sort of you know want his wife by his side when he's had his heart attack and things yeah red in the face i i really i think that was i can't remember exactly what i said but i just thought it was a bit you said you don't like throwing up yeah well i know i i I have a phobia of throwing up so i didn't watch the last like two minutes or whatever (laughs) because i knew it was coming when he was going up the stairs i was like yeah (laughs) i can see where this is going um but i mean i think it's it's it was all it's almost like a very stereotypical male thing to do though isn't it so it's, it's a it's a 1960s version of a lion fighting over a mate isn't it really it well i guess but then you, i don't think it's a specifically male thing to do i think you know 
women fight like compete with each other in the same but i think if you i mean i think if you look at the behavior of the women who are rejected by the men or who are in relationship with these men for example you know you take peggy and pete like she doesn't fight oh. to keep him oh you yeah look at joan like she's the what she's the one stood outside with the bloody birds yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. You know, they don't they don't sort of almost stand off against each other it sort of starts to go that way towards the end of the series particularly with they're, they're not fighting over a man that's 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 no true. That's, that's the thing they true. don't whereas don and roger are pretty much fighting over a woman because i think but again i think that comes back to women are fighting for themselves yeah. or they you know they want what they want or it, it's a different sort of you get i mean you do have a few sort of mini sort of bitch fights between Joan and Peggy yeah, I, about they have yeah they have disagreements don't yeah they? but it's not on this scale it's not a it's not an indulgence show of wealth and yeah and really that all kicked off because you know Roger was hitting on Don's wife yeah, 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 yeah right so yeah. it is almost like so the interesting you say that about it's not an indulgence show of wealth right um because there's another thing I want to talk about in terms of Don being like a female, um, a female subject, right? So there's this weird thing that Lacan says. I think it's Lacan. It might be someone else, but like um, there's this idea of feminine um, subjects, right? and a feminine subject can be a man or a woman. It's not. It's literally like a personality trait. It's not necessarily whether you're a man or a woman. It's just the way you see the world. Oh, I thought you were confused about whether Don was a man or a woman for a while. <laughs> I can assure you he's a man. I'm just saying that so like people don't get upset that I'm kind of like putting people in categories and sort of like saying this is the way people are and stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's like, it's like, you know, it's like a, like people say it's like a scale and there's a way that you see the world. There's like a specific, not a specific way you see the world, but a, a more general way you see the world. So um, Lacan says, uh, the female subjects see the world no the female subjects in order to um oh god I don't even, I, i'm trying to sort of not go into too much detail because i could be here forever but the way let's just say power right that the female subjects relation to power is the female subject is power right right this probably makes sense if I explain the male subject first, but I'll, I'll keep going. The female subject is power. So the female subject is power in the sense that they create. So they create people um, and they'll sort of like come up with ways of, you know, you know, the obvious thing being creating children and stuff. But the, the other way is like the artistic sort of uh, flourishes, things that they come up with in their own mind. And obviously what is done the head of creative mm. um and there's another thing there's another nod towards that later on in, the, in in the season um and the male the male um or the masculine sort of uh, relation to power is not to create power but to hold power to possess it so like cars and money and wealth and all these things that kind of show that you have power but you're not necessarily power itself but think about like a woman that everyone thinks is fit like she could turn heads and all this kind of stuff she didn't have to have that much money on her she's just she just walk through a room and like everyone kind of like fall at their feet and all that kind of stuff 
Um, whereas with, you know, a, a rich, successful man, it's not the man that people are kind of into. It's the things that that man can do for them. It's that, it's like, you know, maybe a car, maybe buy them stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's just that kind of the fact that the man holds that kind of power not necessarily the man it could be the woman as well the woman holds that kind of power and can do things and get things done and it's like that's kind of and when you said that about roger being you know this this guy that has all this money and kind of drives these fast cars and everything it kind of just popped into my head um, and i can't remember what point that i was trying to make so well, we were talking about him trying to take or like flirting with Betty and this, what they, you know, what that was actually all about. That's right, that's true, that's true, yeah. Um, there's also another thing in there about, we talked about um, how Don, um, how Roger at that point was trying to be the, like, almost, Roger was a child in that situation, he was trying to take over from, try to take what um, Don had, and, yeah, and how that kind of didn't work out and how that episode is split into two and how the first half is just you're watching Roger kind of like get rejected and then sort of like jump onto something else to try and get something else, trying to get something else whether it's he's re rejected by the girls in the bar and then he tries to get um, uh, Betty to go out with him or whatever and then in the second half it's all about Don trying to get his revenge on that and I feel like that's kind of related to what we're talking about but I think we don't have much time to kind of like all right, all hang right. on it. But anyway, so what I'm saying is basically the, the, the basics of that episode is it's about Roger and Don being fighting each other and not getting on. Yeah. And if that was the earlier episode, it would then lead on to the political theory of 5G and also the political ideologies of Babylon um, and the hobo code as well, um, which is about objectivism, uh, selfishness. Um, um, what was I going to say uh, do you remember Babylon and 5G yeah I mean less so um, 5G is the one where Babylon you know, was the one with the lipstick party wasn't it and yes. I, I loved that episode because I just thought it was so fun yeah. Even though it was sort of gross, as yeah, well, but yeah, it was just great. a really fun episode. Babylon's also the episode where you were talking about son. You brought up something that I didn't really pay much attention to at the time because I didn't get it. And I was listening to a podcast and they sort of pointed something out which I didn't realize. Um, you remember when we were talking about how Don's taking the breakfast up and we, he falls over? Oh yeah. And you were saying what does he what does he trip on? So I was listening to this podcast and they kind of pointed out that he trips on this thing called a wheelo. Okay. And a wheelo is basically, it's hard to describe, but it's like, it's like a wheel on a sort of like, on a wire. And it, I don't know how to describe it. It looks really weird, but um, it's just really interesting that they showed that. And I didn't think it was that important because I was like, you know, you couldn't really see it anyway but if you look at it and you know what a wheelo is you know exactly what um what what he trips on because it's kind of it's quite distinctive and what's really interesting about that wheelo is i know i keep talking about it i keep going back to it <laughs> but it goes back to a lacan diagram remember the horseshoe diagram i sent you yes 
So it, the 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 shape of the wire that the wheelo thing is on looks like. I found one on Google. This thing. Yes, and if you see the sort of the bend and the yeah. wire, it looks like the horseshoe thing. Um. Oh my god, that is weird. <laughs> it's really weird. It looks like a. It kind of looks like a. I know a pair of barbecue toggles with a wheel in the middle. Like, how is that a toy? I don't know. I don't know how it works. Um, but yeah, it kind of, it nods to, again, it nods to the same thing. And you get the same thing in 5G is like an amazing, so like for me, 5G, the one thing people don't talk about in 5G, everyone sort of points out the fact that, you know, five grand and all that kind of stuff. And But what it really points out to me is, the term G is used to describe horses. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, G's. I don't know. I never liked horses. G-ups and all that kind of stuff. And I think... I think. Is, an, is, what do they say? Do they say G-up? G, G I thought it was giddy-up. It is giddy-up, but, you know. They go G-up. Sometimes they go G-up. All right. <laughs> You're the expert, apparently. <laughs> Look, just help me out. Okay? I'm just trying to stretch this out. Um, and obviously the, you've got like the big the horseshoe moment where like the horseshoe kind of like flips on its side yeah yeah on that's the another award. like nod to horses in there um, so again that's another Lacan sort of thing so in case anybody doesn't remember or hasn't heard um, I really think all the nods to horses and actually shrimps and lobsters in this season are all nods to Lacan's diagrams there's a specific diagram that looks like a horseshoe and there's a specific diagram that looks like some kind of, was it crustacean? Oh yeah, it was like a lobster. A lobster, yeah. yeah I oh, you could that. say shrimp. Yeah, they, you could they, say they, shrimp. they eat a lot of shrimp in this. So yeah, so that's my big theory is that they're, um, they're constantly nodding towards like Lacan's diagrams of um, uh, desire and stuff. Um, so that's those two episodes. And those two episodes are really about, again, they're sort of focusing more on sort of like. Um, ideologies and crowds and then we move to another ideology which is like objectivism in the hobo code um i don't really have much to say about that one so i think the hobo code is possibly one of my favorite episodes oh really yeah okay how come it's like because I, I know that you really like babylon but i'm i'm surprised that you say hobo i code. liked hobo code because i like i think it was the point where you really started to understand, or not even understand, but just learn a bit more about. Because I think it's like, you know, when you meet a dickhead, right? <laughs> and you're like, you're a dickhead. <laughs> but then it's like, if you found out that as a child, they oh, lived right. in poverty oh, okay, and like, okay, they went okay. through all this shit. Oh, and you're kind of like, you actually, can, you're allowed to be a dickhead. You can like, empathise with them. You can empathise. And I think, I think this is the point where I stopped hating on Don so much. <laughs> Judging him. And start, yeah. And started being a bit more like, actually, you know, you didn't have a happy childhood, so I'll give you, I'll give you a, a couple of free passes. But also, I mean, I like the flashback. I liked, I really liked that idea of the hobo code and that, you know, the honest man thing. And we had quite a long discussion about that when yeah. we did the episode yeah. and what that meant. And, you know, when you know when when Don's with his own son saying those things yeah. and they're not, you know, it's it's sort of, I don't know. You just saw a, a lot more of a softer side to him. Yeah. And, you know, I I just 
I think as a character, I co- I connected with him. That's the that's more the epi- in that episode. This is the episode where uh, Don, as a child, says, "I am the whore child." <laughs> <laughs> Which is the episode with Creepy Glenn in? Yeah, um, that's quite early, isn't it? That's quite early. That's uh, Marriage. No, that's not Marriage of Figure. That's oh. um, is it New Amsterdam? Possibly. I mean that that one was sorry. I mean, <laughs> we should just do episode. We should just do season highlights at the end. We but could, yeah, creepy we, Glenn. We, we could talk about creepy Glenn in a minute because that's right. coming up. Um, but yeah, the hobo code is also a really interesting. That another thing that nobody talks about the hobo code is this whole thing of. So I think we talked about it in the last one of the last episodes we talked about, which is signification. Mm. You know, semiotics. Semiotics. Yeah. So yeah. that's the whole thing of. You see a lot of that, a lot of signs, a lot of like labels put on people and stuff. Yeah. And you've got the, obviously the whole the 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 code um, that this guy sort of draws and everything, mm-hmm. and it's basically just signify signifiers of who Don is. I'm not sure fully. We, we talked about it, but I'm still not fully sure how they work or what they mean specifically to the show. But like. Um, but it's a it's a form of advertising, isn't it? It's a form. It's not the most conventional form of advertising, but it's a way of say. It's a way of displaying a message. Because what is advertising really? It's it's giving out a message. Yes, it has connotations, and we want you to buy this thing. But adverts are also Nixon, where they're not asking people to necessarily buy something. They're asking people to do something, yeah, yeah, yeah. or they're trying to communicate a message to people. Yeah. And I think that's they've done. That's displayed very simply in that episode, and I that's think that that's the beauty of it. Well, there you go. There you go. That's a good phone. Done. Yeah. Just off. You won't hear from me again for the rest of the episode. Now. <laughs> Done my bit. And then, then the next one, obviously, shoot. So shoot again is um. So like, just to kind of like reiterate these episodes I'm going through now. So five G Babylon Hobo Code Shoot. This was the one we're going to talk about now. They're all about this. To me, they're all they all have this thing about um, ideologies in some sort of way. Mm. So, you know, and then shoot is basically, a, for me, was about, you know, populism and how pop, um, how popular, how glamour and sort of like work sort of like work together. And, and also it was about, also th- this kind of, um, again, goes back to my whole thing about Don being uh, almost like feminine in a way and mm-hmm. like a feminine subject and that he is one of like, so the guy that's trying to, there's a guy trying to woo or sort of like seduce yeah yeah seduce, um betty and don and you you said it yourself in that episode don has all the power yeah yeah and don it's not that he has all the power it's not that he's rich or that he's successful it's literally they want him because they want him and he's this kind of attractive thing because he you know he's this creative person that yeah. can make all this stuff happen for them so it's like I didn't really think but about I think, it at the time. I think he's only, but I think he's wary. At that point, yes, he's a feminine subject in the sense that at that point he has the power. But I think he knows the minute he signs oh, yeah. on the dotted line, yeah. he loses he that loses power. He loses that's the yeah. And that's the thing is it's so, it's so fleeting. It's so like, yeah, you're desirable until they have you. Until and they then, have you. And well, that's the same with like any kind of, you know, you think about like all those that, Think about the woman at the end of this, at the end of this season, in that booth, who's like really sort of, you know, Ken says about her, she she'll never know that she's supposed to be confident or anything because mm. with that power comes this kind of, you're even though you're you have that power, as soon as someone gets hold of it or someone takes it, 
you kind of lose it in a way because yes yeah you then become an object to somebody else yeah i think that's what don's kind of terrified of in that thing so so all those episodes are all about this idea of um, ideologies and kind of the the big other sort of thing and so the next couple of episodes after that so we've got like the long weekend indian summer nixon kennedy and the wheel oh the long weekend specifically the long weekend indian summer and nixon and kennedy and to me these three episodes were all about existentialism in some sort of way and taking that idea of ideologies and like what to pick what who you are trying to figure out who you are and where you fit within this kind of big sort of world of kind of advertising and sort of images and symbols and all this kind of stuff like figuring out where you fit in that is what the next three episodes kind of tackle in Mm. a way so you've got the 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 long weekend which does it in the, the the sort of the most obvious way and kind of like you know don's faced with death and it's like where does he go what does he kind of how does he deal with this Mm. and we kind of talked about that a lot so i'll kind of skip over that but then we can now start talking about specific episodes and how they work uh because we've got like indian summers which is next right right and i said about india so i don't know what you think about this now but like this is the for me this was like the most specific feminist episode this is the one with the lady pants, right? This yeah. is the one with the lady pants, yeah. And Peggy is... gets a... Peggy has an orgasm for the first time, so I'm sure she didn't get one for me. <laughs> we, we don't know if she had it... Well, we don't know if she had it for the first time, do we? Well, Pete. <laughs> I mean, come on. Fair enough. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Very good point. I mean, no, possibly not the first time, but I can't imagine she's massively sexually experienced. True, actually. I never really thought about that. You got a good point. Like, because yeah, I guess she... she was almost alarmed by it. Yeah, she, she was. She said, and I think yeah. it's one of those things where you don't know if you're a dude. Yeah. But it's like the first time you have one, you're like, oh, <laughs> now I know what they're talking about in Cosmopolitan magazine, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a light. There's there's only one thing I really want to talk about with this episode um, that I didn't talk about the first time around, and it's a line that Roger says. So yeah, so Roger talks about this thing called. He says, "I'll be both dog and pony," right? And I think that was a reference to this thing called, uh, you know, a dog and pony show. So yeah a big part of this episode um so this episode is basically what i thought it was was this kind of um reference to um oh, this book um ambiguity and responsibility right and, and a lot of this a lot of the things in this episode are about objectification and how people are told what to do mm-hmm. and how like and this is this is why it's such a feminist episode is because it's this idea of women sort of living in a world where they're constantly being told what to do and not sort of like just doing what they want right yeah like you say that's what feminism is, is like just doing what you want and this idea that um and what's interesting about um roger in this is he comes into the office even though he's on his deathbed he's dying literally when he comes in someone says he looks like death and 
it, they're basically just telling him what to do and he's just kind of like doing it for the sake of the company yeah i mean he she puts makeup on him doesn't she so yeah, he exactly. doesn't, it is like a literal <laughs> again they're the, making him up and the so. makeup as well the sort of yeah like totally hiding of it's the, like a show show dog show yeah. pony yeah and the hiding of the ego as well like the whole sort of like accessories thing and um so the the dog and pony thing also it used to be called i was looking it up in um in uh wikipedia and it used to be called the gentry equine and canine paradox what (laughs) right which is kind of another thing like it's just this i like the fact that it's kind of like it's got this original name that like it's the different signifier it's like a different it kind of just nods to that for me um but I don't know if it's that specific. I don't know if it's that important. But then obviously there's a whole sort of chat about horses as well. Um, what else was I going to say? There's loads of stuff in this episode. There's like, um, so there's a bit in here where we see Don. So like Don's kind of in the last episode, Don had kind of, um, he had declared his love for Midge or whatever. Oh yeah. And like, so their, their affair was in full swing. And then we see them in bed. And then the next scene we see, is Don in his office putting his shirt on. Mm. Just like the last time we saw that was with Midge. Mm. And he's just doing the same thing again. He's just like referring to to Don the way he, he referred to Midge. Um, what else do we have here? Um, yeah, the fact that... Um, so one thing that I never really... I don't think I spoke about very much the whole season um, is... This idea... Did I ever mention fallenness to you? No, that's a new one. Okay, so fallenness is something that I think Heidegger came up with. And it's like a massive part of this show. Um, And it's this idea that if you basically get told what to do all the time and you never break out of it, you you essentially die inside. Yeah, my therapist could tell you that. And you become... (laughs) And you become like a walking zombie. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> and it, we see this we saw this in the, the previous episode with um, uh, what's her name um, Joan's friend oh uh, the lesbo one <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't remember what her name the is the lady uh, um, I can't remember her name either um, but she like the whole thing with her is like she basically opens up her heart to Joan and tells her how she feels and Joan tells her, just get over it, essentially. And then for the rest of the episode, she's literally the shell of a human being. Aww. And I think that's kind of... I think Don's very similar in the way he kind of acts. Like, he's obviously, he's the the big bollocks and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, you know, he, he runs around, like, owning the place. But essentially, I think I did say this thing about dying inside. This is the episode... The episode we're talking about now is the one where... Um, what's his name? kills himself isn't it yes adam kills himself i think that's what it kind of references this idea of fallenness this idea that you're being you're just being told what to do it's like being told what to do and not sort of challenging that is in itself a death and yeah well it's not living it's existing isn't it exactly exactly and that's and i think again it's this reference to how women were treated at that time and just Mm. kind of like going through the motions and doing what they're told um I think that's it. That's, that's it from me from that episode. I don't know if you've got anything to add. Um, I don't know if I have a whole 
thing to really say about it. I, I think we covered quite a lot in the episode, so if you haven't listened to it, go and listen. Go and listen to it. Oh, there's one. There is one more thing that I wanted to talk about, which is weird. This idea that so at the end of the episode, you know when Pete is just walking, lurking around at the end at the end of the day, and mm. everyone's gone home, and he goes into Don's gets the package. Yeah. Yeah. So when he opens the door. It's like literally the opening scene from the credits and he's just standing there mm. in the door. And um, that to me is, again, it's just people playing this role, fitting into this role. Like, I think if you look at, I, f- I missed something out that I was going to talk about. If you, <laughs> I'll talk about it now. If you, if you look at the, um, all the men, the, the sort of like the main male characters in the show, you've got Cooper. Mm. You've got Roger, mm. you've got um, Don, and you've got Pete. And they're essentially all different versions of the same person, right? Yeah. They're, well, they're all at different stages, aren't they're, they? Yeah, they're yeah. all at different stages. They're all, they're all what I would call signifiers of the same person. And they're all signifiers of um, uh, Cooper. Mm. And what's fascinating about Cooper... It's the first time we see Cooper in, um, I think it's ladies' room. The first thing, the first time we see him, they, you know, he has a chat with Roger and Don, and as he's chatting to them, as he walks away from them, we get a shot of his feet, and we see that he's not wearing any shoes. Mm. And the reason, and I was trying to work out why they show that, because obviously this show shows everything for a reason, and everything's got meaning and stuff, and. There's a thing that Lacan talks about, again, Lacan, um, which is that human beings are comprised of a lack, like the your, your whole drive, your whole sort of motivation for doing anything is the fact that there's always going to be something you want, and it's this idea of lack. And the main, when you're born, as soon as you see yourself in the mirror, the mirror face, you notice something's different, and you want to be that person in the mirror or you want to be different to that person in the mirror or whatever but there's something that you want there's, there's a lack constituted out of you as a human being and that's essentially what the I think it's head signifier is it head, head signifier or main signifier compromises is of a lack and and Cooper with his lack of shoes is like the embodiment of that and they're all trying to be Cooper or, oh. or is it that when you reach the top, there's nowhere left to go but to unravel? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, there's a lot of episodes with people putting clothes on, but there aren't many where people are sort of missing a perfect, you know. I mean, the thing is, it's like oh, the yeah. ga- all the men in the office have got these sharp suits. They all want to look a certain way. They're all there. That, that whole constructed image of this is who they should be this is how they should behave yeah, yeah. and then you've got cooper who's got to the point where he's been through all that yeah he's at the top he suddenly answers to no one and suddenly he's like do i need to wear these uncomfortable shoes do yeah, i need yeah, to yeah, do these and i think it's the thing with like the as you get older and it's you know it's almost the point where it's kind of like you you may lose some things but you also not that he doesn't care but he's also kind of got to the point where He's like, why do I need yeah. to do these things? Yeah, I, t- I totally get that. I I'm, totally understand. But I think, yeah. that, I think that's more on a textual level. 
Whereas I'm when I talk about We're going deep. When I talk We're about deep diving. I talk about I talk about Cooper being a like comprising a lack. I'm talking about the subtext. Like yeah, no, no, the, totally. But yeah, subtext. Like, that makes, that really makes sense. I sound like such a fucking douchebag. Oh my god, <laughs> such a douche. I know I sound like a douche. I'm just like maybe he just doesn't want to wear shoes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Both things can be true. Oh, one last thing about this episode. One last thing. One last thing about this episode. I think the final song that plays at the end of the show is "Fly Me to the Moon," mm. which is like a really famous Frank Sinatra song. I do know that song. But it's the female. I can't remember who mm. sings the female version, but it's the female version that plays. Mm. So that's my proof that this is about feminism. I mean, I, I the more I think about, it, the more there is obviously there's the. There is elements of it, of course, but I think, I think it's, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, maybe anyone who listens to this who's a really big fan of the show is going to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I think, I think that, I think anyone who's listened to me talk. But I'm sort of, I just, I don't know, at this stage, I don't know if I feel that way. Like, I can see it, I can see it building within the female characters. You've seen it with Betty wanting yeah. to go back into her career. You've seen it with Peggy who wants to have effectively a, a copywriting job which is a you know back then was a man's job mm. sort of thing you can see it within all the characters but they keep getting but at up. the moment they're still very much like i mean like i say peggy's starting to burst out but what happens with betty is is very classic like you know instead of pursue it it's almost like men tell her she can't actually do this career so she doesn't yeah. so she doesn't yeah, she goes yeah. back and she's not happy about it and we know that because she goes and like kills some blokes pigeons <laughs> yeah. but like <laughs> You know, I think there is an element of she feels like she's forced back into her role. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's you know if she, if she were a, I mean no, that's not saying that the series isn't about feminism, but she's not a feminist at this point. Oh, no, she no. hasn't reached that point where she's like, "Fuck you, man! I'm yeah. gonna." True. True. No. No. I'm gonna break out of this we're, female. We're, well, this is this is it. So like this idea. So we're at the point. So all the way through this series, we've kind of. Sort of explored all these ideas of like what well, how do you sort of respond to you know the ideas of like looking outside of the world and sort of all these different ideologies all these different things you can do with your life and then you get to this episode which is you know about existentialism and how do you sort of pick that thing i think that's where it starts to get introduced that you could do something else and that's why you know, we see, um, well, as we go on, we'll see how Peggy kind of responds to that. Um, actually, is this, yeah, this is the one where, this is the episode where Don tells Peggy to, you know, demand a pay rise. Mm. Uh, well, where, where actually Peggy comes in and actually asks for a pay rise. But then, I mean, going back to your, you know, male, uh, male subject, or masculine subject, feminine, feminine subject. subject yeah. She's the feminine subject then, isn't she? Because she's the... And he's the masculine because he has the power, and she has the creative. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, so you know that that's it's. It's st- all relative, though. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's it's the power switches constantly. It's yeah. not, it's not consistent, and I think it's that variable that makes this show what it is because it's, you know, nothing is a given. It's such a volatile market. It's a volatile world. Yeah, and it's like things are changing, and yeah. no one quite knows you know they want to try they want to try and burst out of those bubbles but you know is it 
enough for one person to do it or is it something that should be achieved collectively so you say that about don being the um masculine subject in that scene right Mm -hmm. but immediately after that scene he gets taken away by cooper and given a job given a pay rise without asking without saying anything just given it because he's don don draper he's power but that's what i mean but the power is power upon power upon power isn't it and like well because someone has to be the boss of someone else yeah yeah, yeah. and someone has to be you know in this there's always one person that's more powerful than another person but even if even in don and betty's relationship like one is more powerful than the other it's never there's never equal power like even you even see with there's a power struggle between like joan and peggy because joan wants peggy to sort of because she sort of is the office manager she doesn't like that peggy is challenging her you know i mean so i think there's always a there's always a power struggle i think i think that kind of because that power struggles all the way through it's interesting you say that about the Don and um, uh, Betty having that power struggle because that I don't even remember the I kind of tried to talk about this before you said that's not happening and like we talked about you know the bit where I think it's in shoot where they're about to get it on um, they're about to have sex and um, <laughs> I just remember how lame that sounds they're about um, to get it on <laughs> and um all the way through the scene, it's a really cool scene because all the way through the scene, there's like this tit for tat where he starts kissing her. No, she tries to get him to do stuff, and then he de- tries to get her to do stuff, and it's like this whole power struggle. And it's interesting it happens in that episode where obviously Betty starts to get her own kind of you know life back and like mm. her own way of thinking, and like I think that's where Don kind of like clicks and goes, "No, I can't let this happen." Or mm. um, but then also to that point where you're saying about how um, the, the power struggle, I think that goes back to that whole thing that we talked about earlier, the subjectivity and the objectivity where, you know, the subject is the human being, the full person that sort of uses all these objects around them. And, you know, the best example of that is when um uh, Roger and it is it is really relative like you know a subject that's I think that's the main thing about Cooper is Cooper is the main subject Co- nobody's telling Cooper what to do he's kind of the big daddy kind of even though he's kind of a slave almost to um, social norms and stuff like that he's as a subject he's the one that tells he's the one that objectifies everybody else in that building and tells everybody else what to do. He's the big boss. Um, he does, but he also doesn't, in a way. He kind of doesn't do a whole lot. He doesn't, no. No, he's very subtle. But that's, yeah, that's exa- but that's exactly what a big boss is like. If you look at any massive corporation, the person at the very top isn't usually the one doing the hardest graph. Yeah, yeah. They're the one that shoulders responsibility. Yeah. And responsibility is kind of a whole different kettle of fish. And his responsibility is to make sure that the company is making money. Yeah. And that's all he really focuses on. Well, this episode that we're talking about is about ambiguity and responsibility. And, like, I think that's the point of responsibility is, like, what are you responsible to? And um, Cooper is responsible to, like you say, sort of keeping the money coming in and sort of... But then, as a subject, if you're going to be a subject, and I think that's why I'm saying that 
Cooper's this main subject is he knows what his responsibility is mm. and we know what his responsibility is mm-hmm. so he's like this person that has all this kind of through his responsibilities given all this kind of privilege and I think touch you you've touched upon the point that like part of being a, a human being with privilege or with sort of um some sort of respect or whatever you kind of have to take on responsibility for something and that's what the episode's about is like taking like peggy's whole thing is like taking on responsibility she takes on so much responsibility in this episode in fact loads of people do but like she takes on this responsibility of trying to work out how to use this relaxer and how mm. to market it and how to make it a thing um try to think how pay how betty kind of figured factors into that i mean ah so yeah so so betty kind of takes on the responsibility of like you know attending to her own needs <laughs> um, there's a really interesting thing as well so there's there's actually a scene in this where betty's in bed uh and don's not there and she and betty hears like some weird weird noise and it's like Don is Don has a role to play within this family to sort of look after the family and he's off shagging someone else and he's not taking care of his responsibilities in that case mm-hmm. it's like he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing in the same way that the relaxer isn't doing what it's supposed to do either it's kind of it's supposed to make you thinner but instead it kind of just gives you an orgasm <laughs> Uh, which I think is really cool but I think what it shows is about responsibility I mean Cooper takes his responsibility very seriously I mean there's a reason his character because his character could very easily have you know beautiful he's a rich man he could have beautiful women he could have a big car he could be showy but he's not really Mm. Um, and that's because his responsibility because he focuses on what his responsibility is and that's kind of that whereas with Don he loses sight of his responsibility oh, yeah. a lot yeah and that's why his marriage is such a mess Falls because apart. he's not yeah because he he doesn't focus his responsibilities in, in I don't want to say the right places because you know it's never that straightforward with with these sorts of things but at the same time it's kind of like what Betty believes his responsibility is but maybe he never maybe that's the point is a wife and kid was never really the thing was supposed to be his responsibility he took that on without any that's not what his kind of subconscious wanted or needed but that's the thing is he but that's that's that is the thing with don and there's i mean i can't remember who it is but i'm gonna throw a little bit of film theory at you. <laughs> please do but i mean one of the things that's that's sort of talked about a lot in in uh, you know discussions about films and you know your protagonist and what are they there for etc etc now, every protagonist has a want and a need, yeah. right? So you might have someone like Indiana Jones who wants to find ancient artifacts, mm-hmm. but he needs to, you know, teach his class. Or I don't know. I can't think of a good example right now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But the, the thing is, the want and the need are two different things. I and that is it. what causes division in a character. Yeah. Because if you just did what you needed, then things would be a lot simpler it's the want that makes things yes complicated yes and it's like i think for don like he re- he needs his family and he needs his job to yep. know who he is okay right but he doesn't want those things yeah, 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 yeah i think that's that's for me 
is like the issue with Don is it's like he's got these two things that are so far apart from each other. Whereas you look at someone like Cooper, is he he wants to make more money and he needs to keep his his office doing yeah, what yeah. they're doing, and yeah. like that's very straightforward. Those two things go together. That makes his life totally straightforward. Totally, yeah. But like I say, if you have a character where things get like you know Roger, he wants you know Don Draper's wife, yeah, but he needs to keep his own family happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's where his because I mean, yeah, and you know, when it comes down to it, it's his wife that's there for him. I totally agree with. So it. is it? You know, is is it's interesting with responsibility, um, how that because I think that's why Don's actually quite simple, think, a simple character in some senses. I think you've hit it. They're nailed on the head. One of the um, there's a I think it's Lacanian. I'm not sure, but uh, one of his um, equations is. Oh god, what is it? Demand minus minus need equals desire, and that's kind of what you just said. In all, in a way. And you know what the Buddha said about desire? It's the root of all unhappiness. Is that what they said? They do. Well, there you go. If you don't want anything, then you're happy. Yeah, but uh, that's a yeah. But then to, you. <laughs> do we really get into this? Yeah, I'm <laughs> into the Buddhist but then, theory. But then, but then, by not desiring something, does that not make you lose part of your humanity? Is it no? It means that you are. Stuff? Well, but I mean, if you think about it, back in the day when we were cavemen, like yeah. we all we wanted was shelter and food. But right? our that... lives are incredibly complicated now, and we want all these things, like and. The, the fact that we don't have them is what makes us unhappy. It's not the thing itself. Right. Like, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, it's it's the fact that you don't have it that makes it hard. We're, 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 I think we're skipping ahead. <laughs> but, but, you know, but that's, that's Don to a T. It's yeah. like, you know, exa- it's exa- that's exactly what it is. Like, if he didn't want any of these extra women, if he didn't want all these things and feel upset because he didn't have them, yeah. then he would be normal <laughs> not normal but that's, you know what i mean i genuinely was skipping ahead because that was <laughs> that's, I right. think there's a lot of that in the final episode oh, but anyway. well, you know should we move on how long has it been <laughs> we've been talking for we're we're over an hour but i think that's fine for this episode because it's the final episode okay the guys if you're still with us <laughs> we're almost there uh, so nixon versus kennedy so this one i don't know if there's much to say about this one because this is basically epistemology i said this was epistemology this is like so carrying on that idea of uh, existentialism right yeah how do we know what we know how do we know that what we want is the right thing how do we know it also asks the question of where do things come from so like you know privacy and like why is don the way he is and like what 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 was don's origin story answers all these questions kind of but not quite um what did i say about this one so um yes and this one's the this is the one again i'm gonna bang on about the same old thing but this is the one where uh duck duck what's his name duck so i can't read his second name now anyway duck gets introduced oh yeah and duck is kind of like the substitute for um for don uh not don sorry roger uh and then we've got like so we've got like don duck and we've got the 
and we've got Roger as well. And to me, that's another triangle. Triangles! <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Um, where, and I'm not sure how it works out fully, but like I'm saying that Don's like the real, Duck is the symbolic, and Roger is the imaginary. Um, I don't really know where to take that, but that's, <laughs> that's just something I pointed out. Um, there's also a thing, a weird thing that I, I noticed in this where Don seems to find anonymity, anonymity in trains where we see like like so remember in um which episode was it uh, marriage of figure i think it's marriage of figure where don's sitting on a train and someone comes up to him and says oh dick Whit, dick Whitman. Yeah, yeah and don's like freaking out about it and like i was kind of it's really interesting that that happens because in this episode we see don like sort of almost like say goodbye to his his old life and then it kind of the the screen sort of transposes to Don sitting on a train and he gets off the train and he just kind of blends into the crowd as all these people just wearing the same clothes as him and it's kind of like I don't know it's kind of him getting on that tra- train seems to signify to me some sort of yeah some sort of anonymity I don't know if you know any, if, of anything to say about this episode mm. um, I mean I guess the whole thing about elections I mean that's that's really the big symbol thing in here isn't it yeah it's not turning out how you oh yeah think you, or want. you said this one was about um winners and losers didn't you? yeah i mean i think you know i think because there's all that stuff with i love that thing with like joan and paul like and they have their little dance and they talk about their their past relationship yeah the past relationship that nobody really knows about exactly and you know i think there's i think it's a lot about you know who is there a winner is there a in any sort of you know relationship breakdown i mean if you look let's look at let's take boris johnson right yeah. so he won the election yeah but look what he got <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean please god do not you know elect him again but is that he you know in a way Theresa may dodged a fucking bullet yeah, yeah, tell me about because that. she wasn't in power right now yeah winners and losers and it's sort of like how you do think, you know well exactly because he because you know back when he got elected boris was like right i'm gonna do all these things and blah blah yeah and then the whole world turned upside down yeah, yeah totally. and suddenly everyone hates him because no one understands the directions that he's giving about coronavirus <laughs> yeah, and it's like you can't understands. well exactly but you can't you know you can't predict how things are going to go just because you win an, an election or you win or you know you get married to a person that isn't the end yeah and people always see it as being the end that's true and what's nice about that conversation with joan and paul is there is an after the end and what happened after and what you know what that and, and reflection on that and how important that is and it's kind of like you know i think don could do with a bit of reflecting mm, yeah potentially um in fact there's a bit where um you know when when don so there's a there's a question about like so in this episode this is the one where don um uh, basically calls um what's his name's bluff pete's bluff mm. and um oh it's about, about the photos isn't yeah, it? And, the, yeah. And, and and it's it looks like he's doing something very brave and he's kind of because Something that happens early on in the season is in, um, uh, is it New Amsterdam? In New Amsterdam, uh, Don tries to get Pete fired, but mm. he can't do it. And in this episode, 
Peach has to get done fired. And it, it kind of, it kind of, um, it makes me wonder, like, when Don sort of goes to, to, to Cooper's office to sort of, like, just not do what Pete tells him to. The question is, is he doing it because he's brave and he's standing up for the, for the truth? Or is he doing it because actually, in secret, he just wants to get fired and he doesn't actually care. He's trying to break out subconsciously. Good question. I didn't. I I just kind of. Yeah, I was just thinking about that when he did it. It's kind of. It never occurred to me at the time, but like, I don't know. But or is it that he? I mean, because there's the whole thing with Cooper there. I mean, if you knew Cooper's personality, yeah, there isn't. Like I say, if you know Cooper's wants and needs. And all he cares about is the business. He doesn't care. But you don't. But but Don definitely doesn't know that. Don Don's Don terrified that he's gonna get fired. He's gonna get found out and stuff. And it's like we. Do, I think that's the the point is really. It's just we don't know why he tells uh, Cooper. He, we don't know why he goes against Pete. It could be because he's got like these uh, strong kind of morals, but he doesn't. So. I mean, it's funny because it's like whenever I've done something wrong. I'm usually, I usually own up to it just because it's so much worse <laughs> if you get caught out by someone else. Yeah, yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Like it's yeah. so much worse if you do something bad. Like take control of it. Yeah. Exactly. If you if you then go and admit that you did something bad and apologize for it, yeah. Rather than waiting until the truth comes out. Yeah. But it's it's a control thing, isn't it? Because you're trying to control. I think he's just trying to control the output, so it's not Pete going in and Pete being able to because he has. He, he by him being present in that moment he takes control of the situation he does but then you could also say that um his brother takes control of the situation when he commits suicide so well, he, but he does yeah well fair enough he does take control of the situation and mm, it's interesting it's one of those things where it's i mean it's bloody hard to kill yourself but that's interesting that you say that about control because if you don't know anything if we don't know that's the whole point of knowledge, isn't it? It's control. It's like having to deal with the unknown. Like the the whole reason of having control is so that you do know the outcome of what's going to happen. So I do, but yeah. So you, you could have a point where his whole thing of going to going to Cooper and telling him the truth is just him sort of saying, is him sort of like trying to get control of the situation, the trying to as- know what's going to happen, or trying to know how to. Even if he's even if he's gonna get fired, at least he knows I'm gonna get fired on my own volition. Or but which, but then I mean, if you look back to the whole Adam thing, where he goes with his money, I mean that's him taking control of that situation. Yeah. And it's like for him, it's like he can he could have just ignored him or just continued to pretend that he didn't know what he was talking about or whatever. Mm. But he thinks I'm gonna take control of the situation. I'm gonna throw money at this problem and throw it away mm. and, and get rid and get rid of it. Mm. and it's sort of like he it doesn't i think that's when the shock happens when it doesn't work out because he thinks in his head or if i give him some money Mm. he'll bugger off and like go and have a nice life somewhere (laughs) and i think that's what he thinks but with adam obviously the outcome was very tragic yeah and it's kind of like with this i mean i think he is aware that there's a risk but i think if he controls it it's better than if it's if it's cooper storming into his office yeah and firing him at least he's there and he's sort, sort of, of gone in and, and 
and made it happen and made it happen because obviously he also avoids a scene and he also avoids you know there's a there's an element of respect there there's an element of of credibility like someone is a lot more credible if they put their hands up to something than if they don't i'm just trying to think how this like how this is reflected in um betty oh not betty sorry peggy because Peggy's in this episode and she doesn't really. Oh, she the the main thing she does is she stays out of all the problems. Like she kind of literally doesn't in in engage in any of it. She kind of keeps her way out of it. But then even though she does that, someone gets fired because of her. Even mm. though she tries to control her own sort of space and like her own sort of how she deals with everyone. She still finds herself crying because someone got fired because of her. And it's interesting that Don Don tries to take control of this situation. And I don't know, like like I said, we don't know if he's trying to get fired or if he's not trying to get fired. We just know he's trying to take control of the situation. And he ends up, I don't know, he doesn't cry. He doesn't end up crying. He's actually quite happy at the end of that episode. And again, I guess that's just another... Um, difference between the sexes and how they dealt, how they deal with things like Peggy tries to take control of a situation and you know Spiddle ends up feeling bad. Don tries to take control of the situation. Hey, it all works out as always for him. And I guess if you probably look through it and you could probably see other things in there where similar things happen. But yeah, that's kind of caught me on the on the on the flat foot. I think. I guess. I mean, Pete and Pete's trying to take control of the situation as well, isn't he? But Pete's trying to trying to take control of the situation for his own gain. Like, yeah. The the, the diff that's and that's the difference is is. From this, you know, Don doesn't want gain. He's not hoping to get a promotion out of this. Yeah. He's, he's not like like it's, if anything, it's sort of like he he's being sabotaged. He's not. He's trying to take control. Pete is trying to take control, but he's also sabotaging. Whereas Don isn't sabotaging, he's just... And also, there's the thing, the scene with Joan and Paul. Yes, yeah, Joan, yeah. Joan... My favourite scene in this in this episode. And Joan, like I was saying before, like Joan has all the control in that scene. Where she's kind of... She's the boss in that scene. She kind of, she takes her shoes off, you know, like uh, like Cooper... And she, um, and she's tired of sort of knocking him back all the time. And, but even though she's in control, they still end up dancing together. That's it. That's interesting. But this book, it depends what control means to you. I mean, of course, Cooper has control constantly. Yeah. But it's like when you have control all the time, you know, how important is it? How important is it that? someone who works for you who does a great job has a little bit of a dark secret like who doesn't and with you know a boy that you once went out with and no matter how much of a shit bag he was to you you know you just think well why not it's a dance yeah you know and she and that's who she is as well as I think she's a weirdly enough I think she's sort of a peacekeeper and she is a bit of a you know are you going to say people pleaser? <laughs> people pleaser? I don't know. I don't know if Joan's a people pleaser. A peace... No, I was a peacekeeper. Like, okay. she's a... 
she she's in control because thing is that's what she does she is in control of all the women in the office yeah, yeah. and that's why peggy annoys her so much because she can't she control can't control her. peggy yeah, yeah but she controls everyone else and she garners the respect from that and she keeps paul's respect by dancing with him mm. and yeah there's a whole bunch of levels there i mean and and i would say in some ways joan is a people pleaser because she also puts up with a lot of shit she's very pleasing to look at she is <laughs> she i mean <laughs> have you seen her in good girls wow anyway that's a whole other series that maybe someday photo will agree to do an episode by episode breakdown of i've never even heard of good girls oh um, she's still foxy ass so, okay. yeah. um that's in, that's fascinating. I'd I'd never really talked. I've never really understood the idea of power within this episode. But yeah, there's lots of it. I I yeah. So I would say instead of control, I'd replace control with power, and it kind of fits more for me. But because like power is not knowledge is power, right? Yeah. So like I just think it just kind of fits better with that kind of. But I think the thing is, it's not power because they're not struggling for power. They're they're struggling for peace. Yeah, but mm. struggling for peace because Pete isn't at peace because he isn't being considered for the job that he wants. Don isn't at peace because his identity is being threatened. Okay. Joan yeah, okay, isn't at okay. peace because you. You. Paul isn't at peace because he's got unfinished business with Joan. Yeah. Peggy isn't at peace because people don't respect her. Like, okay. and I think okay. they control they makes more sense. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right, okay. okay. Cool. All right. You you win that one. Yes. <laughs> So let's move on. Let's talk about the final episode then. So, the, so what I was the reason I've been going through this in sort of painstaking um, uh, fashion is because I think this final episode kind of takes all of the stuff that's led up to it. So this idea that you know you've got this the starting off three episodes where it's like you know the inner person and sort of like protecting and all like all layers and all that kind of stuff, and then you've got this idea that. Uh, of the of, of um, ideologies and crowds and how the big other sort of works in com- in conjunction with um, <laughs> the the images and all. Hang on, wait a second. I'm confusing myself. You got this idea why I- ideologies kind of work with the relationships between two people and how that all fits in together, and then you've got this idea of how a human being would um uh find their own place within a bigger sort of network of people so like it's called the big other but like it could like you could just say culture or whatever or symbolism um and then so through existentialism and then you got this final episode which basically ties all of this in together and you've got this um yeah, it's kind of, I think we kind of talked about pretty much everything. But what's really cool about it is there's a line that Don says in this, in which he says, um, 80% of my business is done in the last month of the year. And if you think that there's 12 episodes, 12 main episodes in this episode, uh, in this season, and like I'm saying, like everything that is present within the show is in this last episode it's 80 percent of the whole season is in this and that's kind of why those guys the um 
lessons from the screenplay guys or whatever they were called um, that's how they managed to be able to um, distill the whole show into this one episode and 15 minutes it's taken us like god knows how many hours <laughs> um, yeah do you remember anything about this episode I mean, I remember Don Don's pitch, probably the most iconic. Oh yeah. One of the most iconic scenes. It's really weird because, like, to me, that pitch, that pitch always seems really like the whole, the pitch that he makes and the final sort of scene in this episode. The first time I saw it, the first couple of times I saw it, I always saw it as like really cheesy and like mm. I didn't really get why this was so interesting. But now, obviously, having learned about all this other stuff and like science and semiotics and and you know Lacan and all this kind of stuff it's like holy fuck they've done everything like everything's in this episode and I just find it absolutely fascinating um uh yeah there's kind of I feel like we've said pretty much everything we can say about that I can't really think of anything oh there is one thing well I know I do this all the time there is one last thing um that will help me sort of like uh, illustrate the point I was trying to make earlier and it's that thing of um, feminine versus masculine mm. and I kind of tried to talk about this last time but I couldn't really get to it so when you know when everything so Don's done the meet Don's done the pitch and like they're all sort of celebrating and then they're all in the room and then Don offers the job of um, Pete's clearasol thing to Peggy now the reason I'm pointing that out is because Peggy is female mm. and Pete is male mm. and they're both um, competing for almost the same sort of they're almost competing for Don's kind of affection and it's really interesting what happens when Don gives her that job because it's almost like something different happens like that's not supposed to happen that's like a almost like a break in the matrix it's almost like uh, uh it's the unplanned thing it's it's what lacan would describe as the real it's kind of like it's the impossibility it's the impossible happening right and um it's like what i was saying about how a masculine subject um holds on to power and kind of controls power but the feminine subject is power, is creativity. And that's why I think um, Peggy gets the job because she is power as opposed to Pete who just holds power. And he still continues to hold power. But she's both in this episode. What do you mean? Because she is given that opportunity, which you said it's unplanned and unexpected and she also has a baby, which is also unplanned and unexpected. Uh... In the one, she's creative and in the other, she has the power. She doesn't want the masculine power that she has over her child. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. So you're saying that be, the the child is because you're saying that the child is the power in this. The child is like if you're if I'm interpreting it correctly, the yeah. child is the masculine subject. Being being a parent is a masculine because it's not necessarily a creative. I mean, I guess you said create, it could be, but I would see a child as something that you have power over. 
right. not I, necessarily I, creative power. I know, I, or maybe both. Maybe it's a blend of both. It probably but the is fact a blend is, of both. is that I she doesn't it, want that. I think it probably is a blend But she of wants both. this. I think, I think it probably is a blend of both. Because I don't know how comfortable I am with saying parents have power over their children. I mean, they do in a way. They do in a way, but at the same time, if a baby's crying... If you have power over that baby, but she doesn't. But she doesn't take that power that she hand, She gives the baby away. That's what I mean. But I, I don't think necess, I don't think necessarily having a child is power in itself. I don't think. Well, it is because you. I mean, and it, you, you know, it's you that decides in some ways whether the child lives or dies. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I know there's a whole legal thing and blah blah blah, <laughs> but like you know, like I say, she has she has the power to determine that child's fate the same way the owner of a company has the power to determine the fate of the company yeah 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 I see because it's kind of like like i say what that baby has like zero power at all yeah it's it's you know it can't control anything she is completely in both senses perhaps but the way i understand it is the child is power it is powerful it is you know, we all we're all at a child's beck and call. Essentially, a child can make us do anything just by crying, just by sort of like we all sort of like go goo, you know, fucking, you know, tough builder type guys that we all like goo goo gaga over a little baby. Never seen you go goo goo gaga over a baby. Yeah, never will. No, I, everyone does it. It's like it's like a universal thing, but we all kind of have this kind of innate. Um, uh, uh, and they need to sort of tend to children and that's kind of why people get so strung out by their kids it's like and like it's a really sort of primal thing like I don't it's, yeah it's, bi- it's biology like a woman who's had a baby they hear a baby's cries differently to how so I've got a nephew like his mum my sister-in-law feel like he has his cries a lot worse than i do because she's her she's his mother yeah and she it's like torment for her when her baby is crying for me it's just annoying yeah yeah. but it's like for her it's like it actually pains her she's you know she sort of has told me quite a lot about it and it's kind of it's it's really interesting like because that's biology that's that's the survival thing where it's making the mother take care of the child because there's something wrong with the child that's that's yeah that's that's but like i say we're not it's almost like Peggy doesn't have that. She turns down. She turns down that that power, that connection, that relationship in yeah. favor of clearer self. Okay. Yeah. 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 That, that, that. Possibly because she believes she'd do a better job at one than the other. Yeah. Um, which in 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 some senses is there is a there's definitely like I say maybe it's not the right ethical term but in terms of, of the power a parent has to take care of their children or, you know, to not take care of them. Yeah. Is sadly a very real thing. And, you know, yeah, there definitely. are... <laughs> I know, it, and it's not... Well, Don, for instance. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 the whole thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a cycle. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're not going to... He's never going to be all these perfect things. She's never going to be all these perfect things. And she... I think she sees that for the first time now. I'm going to go out on a limb, right? This is just a, 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 a stream of consciousness, right? But we're saying like a baby 
is power, right? Like this baby is power. Um, sort of compromises its power sort of, as in that sort of feminine sort of way, right? Where everyone has to look after it and it can do what it wants, kind of. And it affects people. It affects. I think that's. I think that's the. I think that's that's what I'm getting at when I say power. I think like it affects people just by being. Just exactly. By yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what Don's trying to do, is trying to affect people just by being. But that's what I. But I think that's what all people do. I think mm. that's that's all people. But he does that specifically by just like he's not. He doesn't tell people what he wants. He he's the kind of person that will walk into a room and expect people to know what he wants without him saying it. He's like because he doesn't talk, he doesn't sort of express himself. He just kind of expects people to go along with, uh, like in shoot where he's kind of he doesn't he's he's the sought after thing that just kind of has to appear and people give him what he wants. I think that's him sort of ex- you know that extending his kind of his unconscious desire to be the child or the baby that gets looked after, but he wouldn't have had a chance to do when he was a child because his actual mother died in birth um yeah sorry that was just like a <laughs> that makes no sense probably but like that's just like me going off on a tangent um, <laughs> anyway back to the whole thing that i was talking about the <laughs> um the whole thing about the meeting um so pete is um if Pete, Pete's whole job, Pete's whole function in life is not to be creative. His whole function, he wants to be creative. He'd like to be sort of like, he'd like to be power in itself. But he all he'll ever do is hold on to it. It's like, he'll only be like that masculine kind of, um, uh, he'll only be the, the, the masculine subject. He's got no chance of ever being the feminist. And it kind of fits for, for Pete, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, but the difference is, is he, he feels like by existing, he deserves it. Yeah, that's true. He's, he's entitled. Yeah. He's, and I think in a different way from how Don is, Don is entitled in Shoot. Yeah. 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 I think in Shoot, there's an element of, Don knows he has a bit of power, but I think it's, it's less like, he's more a bit like, hey, you know, but he's not. I don't think he's entitled in the sense that he believes he's going to take over the world. Whereas I think Pete has Pete's, this vision of Pete's himself. So ambitious. And he's so, so ambitious, and that he, when he doesn't get that back, yeah, that's when he resorts to his yeah. awful methods. It's true. Because he's so desperate for it. Yeah, yeah. And it, but it's his desperation that makes him unattractive. What's really interesting about Pete, and uh, like a lot of people say, is like he. generally tends to be right about a lot of things so it's like you know how Don's kind of he's this guy who's he's got this swagger but a lot of the time he's right about a lot of he can sort of tap into what people desire and he kind of understands that from a very sort of like just innately he understands what people want um and Pete kind of has a similar thing but like you say he's his whole way of dealing with that is totally different to Don Whereas Donald just kind of, almost like he doesn't, I think what the difference is, is because they're both very similar people, but because Don is so kind of um, quiet and so sort of um, hides all his emotions and stuff, 
he doesn't irritate people in the same yeah. way. <laughs> whereas, and and you know, uh, whereas Pete has a very Pete's very similar to um, Roger, like really similar. In fact, they're kind of you know both from rich sort of to be well kind of rich families, and they're both from money sort of thing, and they both expect this kind of. Um, they both expect this kind of uh, respect all the time um, but obviously Roger is a lot older and has kind of gone through the has a experienced life and Pete is just trying to get in there and like nipping at the heels or sort of like. yeah I mean in, in all aspects of his life even with his wife and his, and her family like Pete dis, Pete really dislikes authority yeah. where I don't where I don't think Don dislikes authority no. They just and but they both challenge it in different ways. Like Don challenges Roger's authority by basically taking him on this ridiculous date, yeah, making yeah. him eat a bunch of oysters and throwing up in front of a client, and that's enough for him yeah. to teach Roger a lesson. Yeah. Whereas Pete will go as far as, you know, we could put him in jail for this. <laughs> and all he's done is not given him a job interview or, or you know, the job that he wants. Yeah. And it's kind of like, that's people's problem with Pete is he goes to extreme, extreme lengths. Whatever it takes. And he doesn't like authority. Yeah. Because he doesn't, because he always thinks that his viewpoint is the most valid viewpoint. And you're right, maybe sometimes it is. But the thing is, and it's the same in any company, like you could have like a 20 year old who's an absolute genius yeah. who could fix loads of problems in the company but you take that young person and you put them with a CEO that's been there donkey's years yeah. they don't want to listen to that no, no, because no. it's like why would you want to listen to a 20 year old when you've been there however long and, and that's the thing is that he's at that point where I think Don's kind of like he's an army guy he sort of knows there's, there's also the thing of how yes exactly what you're saying where um this idea of the big other or this idea of um um fitting into a culture because essentially like a company's whole point is to succeed and if someone new comes along and does it doesn't bend to authority they can change everything within that company and destroy it from within Mm -hmm. so it's kind of that's how companies keep themselves alive is by promoting the people that you know toe the line sort of thing um and that's why things that's why growth takes such a long time that's why change takes such a long time because you know things can change a little bit but nobody wants to be the extreme person that's like right we're going to do this huge thing yeah because that's scary and they and you don't want to be wrong yeah, yeah, yeah but it's like actually in some circumstances that is completely the right thing to do it's just that no one has the has the balls <laughs> to do it or just thinks oh it'll be someone else's problem in a few years the testicular fortitude mm. <laughs> so you know i think that's a little bit where where you're where you're at with this really yeah that's very interesting uh what else did i want to say is there anything else you wanted to say about this episode not really we kind of i think we kind of did everything on this episode in the last one so if you haven't listened go back and listen yeah it's fascinating respect Uh, our authority (laughs) um i think that's it i think we've kind of what's your favorite episode for season one favorite episode for season one um my favorite episode for season one is probably because it's so subtle 
and because I still don't really understand it, it's probably red in the face. And ladies' room as well. I love ladies' room just yeah. because it was like you jumped up and like. Because the, the the reason I love ladies' room is because you know that whole sequence with Peggy and Paul. And they, that kind of blew my yeah, mind. Yeah. So I literally was like, yeah. "Holy shit!" That's definitely a season highlight, guys. You should go listen to that because you literally can hear my <laughs> tiny little brain being blown in the background. I think that was one of the few. Like philosophical things that I like actually got and was like, whoa. But that kind of put me that put me into like a whole You peaked there. Like yeah. the second episode. <laughs> <laughs> that put me in like a whole rabbit hole of just kind of shit that I've never heard about before and like just blew me away. So yeah, that's my favourite. What's your favourite? Like oh. I say, I do like I do like the Hobo Code and I do like Babylon. Yeah. I do like those. I, I mean I think there's some you know, there's some really lovely moments. I've heard anything with Joan in, <laughs> I liked. Yeah, me um, too. <laughs> yeah, we all love Joan. Um, but yeah, I think. I mean, I'm interested. I'm intrigued about the next season. Good, because I was. I do want to ask actually, because like obviously you've seen this before, but you kind of fell off it. Yeah. So like, I how's think it looking? I probably I remembered zero about season two yeah. um but i probably did watch at least a couple of episodes so it'll be interesting to see if i remember anything um i think like i don't like i say i've not seen it so i don't know what to expect yeah um i'd be interested to know okay i'm gonna predict some things okay that's okay. good yes let's do don that. and betty is gonna fall apart okay right okay i can't obviously can't answer you but this is let's, let's yeah. document it let's, no, that's let's fine. have it on wax um, <laughs> um, I think Peggy, Peggy's going to become like an awesome female boss. Like she's just going to boss it. Okay. Okay. And I think. Are we, when you sort of, so you're giving a lot of predictions here, right? <laughs> right. But what's the time scale of these? Is this, is this all? I mean, I think it's all going to happen in episode one. <laughs> I don't know. I think towards the end of the series, maybe Pete finds out about the baby. I don't okay. know how that's going to happen. Okay. I don't know if okay. we'll ever see the baby again. I feel kind of bad for the baby. <laughs> like, I hope it comes back. How many seasons are there? Seven. <laughs> yeah. I, hope it, I hope it's back by season seven. Well, I hope it's angry. We'll see. We shall see. Um, I think... Oh, I think at some point, the gay one's going to come out. Okay, okay. I hope he does. I okay. want him to be happy. Oh, do you know what? About that gay guy, um, Sal... Um, what's interesting, so again, this kind of goes back to my thing on whether Don is feminine or not, but he's essentially the first, so when we see him in the first episode, um, we see Don, no, we see, we see, obviously we see Don, but then when he goes into the office, first person we see him talking to is, um, Roger, and Roger's giving him all the orders, and then we see Sal, and Don gives Sal all the orders. And the only reason I say that is because in terms of, you know, um, quote unquote masculinity or whatever, it's kind of like the most, and I'm not saying that, you know, masculinity is like the boss or kind of like better than femininity or anything like that at all. But obviously at this point in time, this, this, this world, that's how it was perceived. And like the most sort of alpha male or whatever you want, whatever you want to say was more kind of, was always given the order. So it kind of suggests to me that Don was quite the feminine subject at the time. 
I don't know if that just sounds makes me sound like even more of a douche. <laughs> but, um, anyway. <laughs> okay, I cut that part. Um, Let me think. I can't think of any other big predictions. I think at some point Cooper's gonna die. Okay. Because he's old. Okay. I think that's kind of a lame prediction. But... In 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 the next in the next. Oh, I don't know. I feel like that might be season three. I feel like Cooper's got a little bit more to give. Okay, okay. I think, I think, okay. mm, mm, I don't know. Mm. Anymore? Joan's going to get a proper boyfriend. Okay, so I'm going to write these down. <gasps> Maybe Joan and Don are going to have an affair. I'm gonna. Okay, I'm going to write these down. So you're I saying... I think they're going to have an affair. So yes, so let's go through all those again from the top. <laughs> right. Do you remember them? Because I, I totally forgot what So it. Don and Betty... Marriage uh, breakdown. Don and Betty breakdown. Yep. I think Don's going to hook up with Joan. Okay. Don and Joan get get it on. <laughs> he loves that phrase. Um, I think Peggy's going to become a kick-ass female boss. Peggy becomes... She's going to have nothing bad to her oh. happen to her in next season. Boss. Yep. But I think Pete's going to find out about the baby. Pete find out about baby. And I think... Oh, what was the last... Oh, Sal. Sal's going to be outed or come out. Sal will be outed or come out. Anything else? And then the final one was Cooper's going to die, but I think that might be season three. Cooper's going to die. So we should, we should hold on to that one. Yeah, okay. We haven't had we haven't had like a proper death, have we? Oh, we had Adams. Yeah, we did. Um, okay, cool. All right, so that's it, guys. So tune in next time. Yes. Um, and find out whether my predictions <laughs> come true. What What about my predictions? What are your predictions? But well, you've seen it. Well, this is ah, I have seen it. But what I haven't done is I haven't seen it on the subtextual level. I haven't like I don't. So, so how many triangles are gonna be in next season? <laughs> exactly well this is the thing like so my big prediction for the next season is i genuinely don't know if i'll be able to keep this up for the next season i don't know if all of this stuff that's all you get folks just season one i gen i gen no because i i'm i think there's other stuff in there like it's definitely all the themes and stuff there's all the kind of like you know less kind of deep down themes but whether there is all this stuff on lacan and you know all this philosophy and all this i don't know if that's going to be in there mm. i think that's a spe that might be a specific um thing for this season because you gotta remember this is the first season where they're literally trying to make it all work and stuff so yeah they get lazy by season two i bet you never know you never know so i'm kind of yeah i'll be interested to see if they can if they can keep this up because it's it's really really like amazing how everything kind of fits together and how we can sit here and talk for two hours on it it's almost two hours. We need to. We need to end. Oh my this. god! We need to go, guys. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Well, uh, if you want to get in touch with us or you have any suggestions, comments, anything like that, you can um, check out our social media and our email. They will be in our bio. And thank you very much for bearing with us through season one. Please do like, comment, and subscribe because Frola is very happy to say that we had a thousand downloads of one episode. So he's like super. super can I, can I just happy. say? I didn't say we had a thousand downloads of one episode. Well, what did you say? I said we had a thousand downloads. We had a thousand downloads, guys. I mean, I still think that's amazing. I'm really pleased with that. He's really pleased with that. We're really happy. So please yeah. just, you know, 
keep listening. All if right, it... and so I'll just I'll just hand over to Fiona. Oh yeah, I need to say my thing, don't I? Yeah. Um, don't forget, everyone. I don't even like saying it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> For next season, we're going to come up with a new catchphrase. We are because, <laughs> in fact, you know, I actually think I don't think that uh, Sopranos is better. I what? Just say, I just say. I mean, that. you're going to sign off with that now. <laughs> I just say that to uh, just to trigger people. Really. So, like, the one comment that we've had on the podcast is that somebody didn't understand why we signed off with the Sopranos is better thing. And now Fola's just going to leave you hanging. <laughs> Don't forget, everyone, Sopranos is better. And I'll put that back in if uh, you feel like it. Right. See you soon. Bye. Bye.